This week on Two Dudes, Three Legs. No, they didn't reach out to me. I was calling you all morning. Okay. All right, we'll go through everything. Okay, all right, you got it. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. He's been in jail this Saturday. That's why he didn't. He misses appointment. That's one reason to miss your appointment. That's a good reason. <laughs> well, he decides to drink and then uh, he doesn't uh, pay yeah, for nachos. He leaves the restaurant. You mean the other one that was supposed to come in today? Yeah. Oh, a different one. And just Another one. That's right. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. <laughs> it's about learning to dance in the rain. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, put it isn't right it, in the front. Isn't that the truth, though? <clears throat> All right. Oh. Shush! She's ready. Good timing. He said all right. She Good timing. Okay. Everyone ready? Let's do it. You're ready, I know. I know you're ready. <laughs> Welcome back to the Two Dudes, Three Legs podcast. Uh, we have our host, Zach Dingy. I'm Tony Capaletti. And today we have Dr. Mitchell, Dr. Detox himself, and his lovely wife, Lynn Mitchell. Thank you. Uh, and we got Pippa. Pippa. Pippa, yeah, don't Pippa. forget about Pippa. Team mascot, podcast mascot. Our therapy yeah, dog. The therapy dog. So I right off the bat, I, I really want to know what it was like for you guys to sit with network executives about uh, the possibility of having your own TV show. And I want to know what it was driving you because obviously you wanna, you wanna do this TV show to spread awareness. Can you talk a little bit about that? A few, a few years ago, I have a 50-something-year-old a, a guy coming to my office doing heroin for 20 years. And he goes, I didn't know there was any treatment uh, for heroin. I didn't know there was Suboxone or Vivitrol. No one told them. And that's very common. People don't know there's treatment. So we, we, my daughter, who's uh, in the industry, did a sizzle of us, uh, our, our show, a five-minute sizzle. And her boyfriend. And her boyfriend. Yes, thank you. <laughs> and um, she showed it to some production companies. Um, they're interested because we're different than, than, than most addiction medicine physicians. We detox everybody at home. It's very rare that I would send anyone to a detox. People do much better. My success rate is probably over 95%. People do better in their home. They're in their own bed. They're with their family. They go into a rehab. They're sleeping on a cot with 60 other people. They don't get enough meds. Mm. You know, it's a business, uh, you know, rehab. To me, it's like the prison system. They want repeat business. So, right. they, they, you know, at 28 days, they say, okay, you're fine. Only 30% of the uh, rehabs in the country even give medication to, to leave, you know. So, what's going to happen? The brain's going to talk to them. And then, you know, in 60, 90 days, they're back doing rehab again. So, it's, it's, it's insanity. Right. So, that's why we detox everybody at home. So the show has interest, and, and it's a family business. It's Lynn, myself, you know, and... Uh, Anyone who's in the house, is, and, is, everybody's part of it. Exactly, yeah. and, and our success rate's also very high because everybody, which probably wasn't a smart idea, has my cell phone number. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we just figured that out before the show. Yeah. You, were, you sounded like you were having some crazy stuff happening right before we have done. Always. I had somebody always. call me at 4.30 in the morning last week, asked me what time his appointment was in the morning. At 4.30 in the morning. <laughs> he didn't want to be not late. not right now, I'll tell you that yeah. much. He, he but, didn't you know, want to be is, late. This is uh, what we chose to do, so that's, this is what we did. 
the, the main reason for the TV show was to spread awareness, to, to, to kind of get it. It's, all, it's all about awareness, to tell yeah. them what different medications are out there, what they can use, you know, what they need to stay sober. I mean, medication's great, but they need to go to therapy, they go, need to go to AA meetings, you know. Th those are very important because if you, if you don't work on yourself, I can keep you on meds for 10 years, I stop, you're gonna go back and use. You need yeah. to work on yourself, so it's, it's very important. So that's, that's the awareness that we're trying to. Right, so more than spreading awareness of the addiction, you wanna spread awareness of your methods of curing it and helping people. Well, which cure is a difficult word. Yes, yeah, sir. <laughs> because this is a chronic disease. So yeah, we try to keep people sober as long as we can. Listen, do people relapse all the time? Right. But it's how quickly they stop doing their alcohol or their drugs and they get back on the program. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing. Can you tell us a little bit about the miracle drug Vivitrol uh, compared to other opioid blockers and why it's a better drug and more effective? Listen, everybody's different. A lot of people do well with buprenorphine, naloxone, suboxone, but I have great success with uh, the Vivitrol because once I detox someone off a heroin slash fentanyl or oxycodone slash fentanyl, because there's no more, there's no such thing as pure heroin or pure oxycodone. Let me tell you, 10, 12 years ago when there was just heroin, my life was a lot easier. It was yeah. simple, get them off and on. Now it's difficult because the cartel is you're using fluoro fentanyl and it's staying in the receptors anywhere from seven to 13 days. So it's, you know, it's a long process. But once I get them you know, sober and good, we give them the Vivitrol shot. Once I give them the Vivitrol shot, it's like putting a lock on all their, what's called mu receptors in their brain. Uh -huh. They can't get high. So if somebody takes a Vivitrol shot, leaves your office and physically you know, takes a shot, heroin. Right. heroin or fentanyl or whatever it may be, can. it's gonna block. It'll block, and I gotta tell you, 50% of people that get the first Vivitrol shot will use just to see if it works. Yeah, go to Wow. Try. And they don't feel anything. It's like they never took an ounce of heroin after they do it, and they try to. No, but Nothing. I always tell them, listen, you, if you keep doing heroin to try to get that feeling, you're not gonna get it, but you're gonna die of respiratory depression. Yeah. So. Don't oh, wow. keep doing heroin. That's interesting. How does so that work? Respiratory depression. Because they yeah, do so much. Op opioids cause respiratory depression. I mean, that's part of what they do. So if you have a Vivitrol shot and people are trying to get high and they can't get high, they'll keep doing heroin. And not going to get high, but they'll, their, res their respirations can stop. Vivitrol is like monthly, right? And that's why... It's, it's once a month. I give it every yeah. three weeks uh, because... I found it wanes from the body after three weeks, so I like to keep the levels up. There's now Trexone pills, 50 milligrams, you give them once a day. The only problem is if they stop taking it, they can get Done. high. And that's day. the problem, is they can stop it at any minute. Exactly. And then they can go get high. Right. With a Vivitrol shot, they have no, they can't do it for three weeks at minimum. At minimum, you know? exactly. That in itself is a huge part because after three weeks, does their desire to want to do it go down or no? Because they're still, you would say they're still addicted. The, not, Not in, in the, the beginning, beginning. No. no. You know. Good timing. Yeah. <laughs> you owe me a soda. <laughs> um, I, I also found it interesting that, you know, you mentioned fentanyl, right? And when everybody thinks of the drugs people are doing nowadays, it's always opiate. Everyone's thinking opiates and heroin. Yeah. And, you know, from someone like you who really sees it, how much of this has become fentanyl? All of it. I mean, it's all fentanyl. I, I find... Really? Oh, my God. Fentanyl is in every... Uh, like people paying $40 for an oxycodone, it's all fentanyl, you know. 
it comes over from China, they make it here, it's like $300 a kilo. So the trouble is, is that if you're a dealer, you buy a kilo of heroin for whatever, 20,000, 25,000, they put in a kilo of, of, of fentanyl for $300, now they think they have two, uh, you know, the, the two kilos of the price of one. Right. The trouble is, is that fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine, and that's why everybody's dying. Are, and you're, are you seeing more overdoses? All the time. Everybody in my practice gets naloxone just in case. How, so how and long it's not just that? one naloxone. You have to get more than yeah. that when there's fentanyl involved right. because, because it's no, stronger. Right. Wow. Naloxone is short-acting, so it, it'll wake somebody up, but then they can you know, get back into the overdose. So you, you have to hit them a couple of times. Wow. So how long ago did it, because you said back in your day when like heroin was pure heroin, when did that change? Like now fentanyl's in everything? Oh, it's been in everything for at least five five years, maybe more. Wow. I mean, everything. Wow. I've seen it in bootleg, two milligram Xanax. I've seen it on pot that people buy on the street. I mean, so basically, oh, and, and, oh, and cocaine. Yeah. Fentanyl oh, yeah. is in cocaine, and everybody that comes to me to get off cocaine, there's fentanyl in all the cocaine. So if you're doing cocaine, what are the chances that your cocaine has fentanyl in it? Pretty high. Uh, unless you're getting it straight from Santa Domingo as pure, <laughs> it's probably 90 to 100%. Wow. Jeez, mm -hmm. that's crazy. And a, and a lot of people think, oh, I'm just gonna get high tonight, you know, I've got some coke and stuff like that, and they're dead. Yeah. And yeah. That's, not, that's not okay, because if you're just going to get high, and then all of a sudden you're dying, I, I tend to call that murder. I'm not saying, you know, that any of it's fair, but that's just not fair, that's just not fair to people who, I, and these are mothers and fathers, like on a Friday night, and then their kids have to go and find them dead. Person that comes to me, he's doing very well. His friend took an oxycodone, told his mother he's gonna lie down, wake him up for a dinner. She wanted to know who's dead. And that's it. Oh, I, mean, I could tell you a million stories. I, 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 somebody told me in my practice that this, uh, her girlfriend's husband decided to go upstairs and do a couple of lines of uh, cocaine, because they were having a, a People over for party, never came down. <sighs> she found him on the uh, toilet seat. It, it's terrible. And I agree that it, it's murder. Mm -hmm. I mean, we did an episode of this, and the name of it was Shoot Your Local Heroin Dealer because we feel strongly that, like, you know, if you sell somebody something and it kills them, right. you killed them. Correct. Yeah. It's a murder charge. Yeah. And what you know, what what did they make off of that one deal? Forty bucks? That's how much that guy's life was That's worth. That's why to when, you? The, when the first came out, I, I said to myself, you know, when I saw the scene in fentanyl, I said, Is this a good business decision? I mean, if you're a dealer, don't you want to repeat business? Right. You're killing <laughs> you're your customers. Killing yeah. Holy smokes. Well, on that topic of stories. I, I'm sure you have a good origin story of why you started, like when you were younger, why you got into this field. What was the reason you, oh, you were you doing something beforehand? Why'd you oh, get yeah. into addiction no, medicine? I had a uh, very large practice in Greenwich Village in, in, uh, in uh, mm. Manhattan in pediatrics. Oh, wow, okay. Wrote a book, was, I mean, I was pretty, very well known. But my brother was, uh, you know, an addict since he was 15. He would, you know, do pills, he would drink, he would do coke, you know, he would just... I'll tell you how crazy he was. When he was 17, he bought a, a, a canister of nitrous oxide, laughing gas. He, he taped it to the back of the driver's seat, put the mask on, and drove around town on nitrous. 
And my, oh, uh, and my poor, I mean, it was terrible. My poor parents at three in the morning, neighbors would call, oh, your son Peter is uh, asleep on our grass and this and that. And then he'd have like two or three years of sobriety. He um, got married, had a child, um, moved out to Ohio to be with the child, met a friend, started doing heroin. I spoke to him every night and um, I didn't hear from him for a day or two. So I called the office manager. I said, you got to go into his apartment. I speak to him every day. He was dead on the floor with the needle still in his arm oh from a heroin God. overdose. So I, so I sold my uh, pediatric practice, and this is what we've been doing for the last 12, 14 years. Saving people's lives. Trying. Yeah. Well, Do you guys certainly are. I mean, you've done something very special for... Uh, a, a very close friend of mine, so I can speak to the fact that what you do is certainly different. And that's, you know, obviously how we ended up meeting you. Um, but what you do works and very effectively and very quickly. Um, right. You know, I detox people at home, I give them enough medication. And that's another problem with the rehabs. They don't give enough medication. So people either sign out against medical advice or they can't wait till they get out so they can use because they feel like crap. Right. You created a comfortable environment for someone to heal in. Right. And I watched it happen. And that's what was most important because, you know, why, why would anyone go back to using? Because they're uncomfortable and they're hurting. And they're, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you nailed it with your methods. Like, right. If I, could, I keep you know, someone comfortable the whole time, especially getting <clears throat> first, past the first three, four days, you know, we're home free. They do right. Great. It's downhill from there. By the time people come to our office, they're usually on their knees. Yeah. Like, you know, like they've done everything and, and this is it, you know, unless they're court mandated. Oh. But that's another story. But um, they'll, they'll come on their knees, get, they're really looking for help. So we try to create this judgment-free zone. Right. We don't judge you for right. what you're doing. So, and, and we care. And right. we really care about the outcome of this person. We care about this person. We care about their families and what the dynamics are going on there. By the time they're done with me at the front desk, then they go back to Doc. And he, in his own way, and this is how this whole show was getting started, mm -hmm. has a way to deal with people who are in this. They come in crying and they leave laughing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what that's about. But he, he is so fantastic. And I, I feel, you know, even if he's my husband of 33 years, like I feel blessed. Oh, come and, on. I, and I love... <laughs> And I love watching him like really get these people healthy and, yeah. and get them laughing again. Laughter yeah. is so important. And so we'd like to be like a healing space and, 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 and he gives them the phone, but so many times, it's not all laughing. He, he'll yell at them. He'll tell oh, them yeah. exactly what I've heard. I, 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 I think I kicked out two people in all the time I've been in practice, you know, because this is a chronic disease, relapse happens. You know, as long as they're willing to get back on the meds and do the right thing, I, you know, yeah. I, you know, I say with them, the, the, you know, the whole time. Yeah, I saw and, it. I saw it. I brought a friend to you, and you know, you called me a bunch of times. You woke me up every morning for like a week. Yeah. <laughs> Why you guys calling me first yeah. thing in the morning? Yeah. But checking in, and you, you, you know, it never felt Seriously. like a doctor was calling, and I don't mean that in any bad way. It felt like a friend was calling to check in and make sure everything was going the right way, and you know, you. You offered more information than I even asked always. I didn't even have questions because you knew, I mean, you've been through this process so many times. You know, you've helped so many people. You know, I'm sure for you, it's like, okay, I know what to do here. Well, that's why our success rate is so high. Because I mean, if I detox someone, I'm calling that house three, four times a day. Oh, I know. 
I know. And it, it feels good, too. Like, I feel like, you know, you're my buddy. And that's how I want to work with people, you know, no matter if it's whatever, I'm going to do home improvement or if I'm saving somebody's life. You know, when you interact with people, that creates a lasting effect. And, you know, like you said, when I came into that office that morning, it wasn't a good morning. Yeah. And we left smiling with hope and, like, mm-hmm. it became a very good thing. And, you know, I watched you save someone's life. Yeah, I always tell people when I detox, when I said, you're going to get tired of hearing my voice. Hear <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. That's, that, that's, that's why the success rate is so high. Yeah. Because that's everything. The it's community pers- of you make people it you personal. deal with. The, yeah. yeah, exactly. But you, know? you need to know someone cares. Someone cares yeah. about you. And it's not just opioids. I mean, we detox a, a ton of people off alcohol. Uh, you know, no one talks about alcohol because it's a legal drug, but there's over 480,000 people that die a year because of alcohol-related problems. Yeah. You know, we talk, th- you know, about the opioids because over 100,000 people died, which is terrible, but over 480,000 people. I mean, the alcohol, especially during the pandemic, you know, people were home... Two worst things for an addiction brain are boredom and isolation. And yeah. That's what these people had. Yeah. So their brain would talk to them. You know, even people that I've had, I had sober from alcohol for ten years. Their you know, brain would talk to them. I could have a glass of wine now. I could, you know, I'm good. I'm good. They're not good. Three weeks later, they're calling me. Right. They're not good. Right. So and this disease doesn't go away. And you, we keep talking about the substances, right? And you keep saying people's brains are talking to them. And the way you would explain it to me is this is not about the substance so much as it is a chronic disease of the brain. Exactly. And can you, can you speak to that a little bit and explain how that works? Because I, I think people are, you know, they really think it's all just the drugs and they, they don't understand. It's not the drugs. The earlier you start, you know, drug use, 15 or 16, it takes till age 25 for your brain to fully mature when, yeah. you, when you start to think with your prefrontal cortex, is this a good idea for me? You know, learning, reasoning. Mm-hmm. You don't get that if you, if you start doing drugs. Everything's impulsive. Boom, I have to have it now. I got to do it now. You know, addiction is a very selfish disease. You know, you know, I, you know it's all me, 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 but it affects the whole family unit. And, you know, and, and they, you know, I try to explain that to them. So, you know, so it drives me crazy because if someone has, you know, type 2 diabetes and they're eating a cheesecake, no one said, oh, look what you're doing, this and that, you know. But if it's, a, you know, someone with a substance use disorder, they get on, you know, top of them, it's crazy, you know, what they do. And that's why the, the prison system's crazy. I mean, you know, probably 50% of the people in prison are there because of drug you know, use. Yeah. I mean, instead of putting them in, in jail... Put them in a rehab for a year and then put them in sober living for two years. You know, yeah. So they can get better. I mean, they're not going to get better. You know what happens when you're in jail? People's brains think of the last amount of heroin or oxygen they did. The minute they get out, right. they do that, they overdose, they die. Right, right. Wow. And it's a bad environment it's to a be bad in. Environment. We know that addiction does not discriminate. Um, can you generally characterize the demographic of, of your Oh, yeah. Listen, I have, uh, you know, people that are, you know, work construction or un- unemployed. And I have people that are uh, famous actors or, you know, partners in law firms. I mean, it doesn't, uh, <laughs> this doesn't discriminate. You know, they say it's about 60% genetic, 40%, you know, environmental learned. But I think genetics plays a huge, huge part in addiction. What would you yeah. say that ratio is? I think it's much higher genetic. Really? 
I do, but I mean, everything you read will say 64. Because like I have, I have a lot of beliefs. You can plow through things in your brain and you can make things like, you know, 80% of it is just your thoughts and the way you think about things is why things happen to you. I always thought, you know, before I started sitting with Tony and, and finding out more stories about people that you've worked with and, and JJ we had in the show, I always thought, you know, and I think most general people do who haven't been in the life of someone who's been addicted and seen that, I always thought like, you know, it's just that person and they need, they need to fix themselves. But really, you're saying it's more of something in their brain and they really can't help themselves. Exactly. That's yeah. why therapy is so important for these people, you know, not only to get sober, but continue in therapy and work on your triggers, you know. You know, anyone that comes to me, I, I said, you have contacts of your dealers in your cell phone. You need to delete, delete them now. It. And yeah. if you don't want to delete them, you know, listen, I, I tell people in my practice, if you lie to me, I can't help you. Right. Yeah. I said, you pay to come to me. If you want to lie, sit in a Medicaid clinic. Don't come to me. Yeah. But if you want help, tell me what's going on. I'm not going to kick you out, but I need to know because I need to know how to treat you. Right. So let me ask you, why do you think most people start like, why do most people get in, involved in drugs? You don't think yeah, it's the environment? Fa fa you know, friends, fa you know, fr family. Okay, okay. They, you know, they started. I mean, that's what usually, ha you know, that's how it starts as a kid, as 15. Or like friends, family, people. Or, or yeah, and, uh, yeah and, you know, later, or someone's in a car accident and they're on, you know, oxys and, you know, and, and you know, now, you know, the physicians know better. But, you know, you know years ago, they would put someone on, you know, let's say oxycodone for a month because they had a bad back injury in a car accident, and then just stop it. The person goes through and saying, "Oh my God, I'm sweating. I don't feel good. My stomach, I have diarrhea." They're going through withdrawals. I so, can speak so to that. Say, I, I can speak to that. Like? When I got in my accident, they gave me drugs. They got me loaded up, addicted, right? And then just stop me. Just you know what the insane. worst part of after my accident was? Withdrawal exactly. for two weeks. Yeah. I was I couldn't move for two weeks. I slept through like my birthday. Oh my God. It was miserable. Exactly. Wow. And why would they do that? There has to be an well, aftercare. Well, they wanted to me to not feel pain, but then they didn't want to get me addicted, so they cut me right off. Yeah, but after, although I was a, <laughs> after ten to fourteen days, you're physically addicted anyway. Yeah. So they had you on I was for months. Two months in, yeah. yeah by that point, exactly. But that's how they saved me: withdrawal. But like. And I believe it must be a chronic disease of the brain because I feel like a, a lot of people that I know, if in that situation, would have went out and right to the street and got fentanyl and, and began right there. And I can see how easy, because God damn, I would have much rather yeah. been high than went through that two weeks of hell, exactly. sweating and not sleeping and liquids coming out of my body every which way it was <laughs> you're lucky it was just two weeks i mean it could last six nine you know it could last a longer time really uh, yeah yeah i started feeling a lot better after two weeks yeah thank god you know i've been in the office i see you two working side by side saving lives can you talk a little bit about you know the sacrifices you guys make as a family and you know the pressure that puts on the household <laughs> Well, well we, thank goodness we don't see each other that often in, in the office. Oh, really? That's Lynn yeah. runs the front office. I'm and, in the back. And he runs the back. We have respect for each other and what and what we do, what each other does. Um, 
Uh, as far as the home life, we've gotten used to a dinner where, where we're eating dinner, but he's off on the phone somewhere else and coming back and taking a bite or two, you know, or off talking to a patient. We're so used to that. So the work-home balance is work, work, work home work 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 right home and uh, we have the kitchen is set up where he he works on the kitchen i have my stuff in the kitchen where we work and the cell phone is is just like really key to everything else we do because everyone's got our cell phone numbers so it's yeah. a it's so, a family so, so, effort it's, a it's family definitely effort. a family effort i mean you know lynn lynn runs the whole front office she does the appointments she does you know everything so yeah i keep the office takes a lot of pressure and, off of me yeah and, and just greeting greeting the patients i i love the patients like i i love the patients and the and office. i feel that they feel that also absolutely that they're that they're cared I, for so 100 so now so now i call it a concierge okay practice because it's not just like a regular practice like no. who else gets out their cell phones like that who else is on call 24 yeah, nobody. hours 24 hours a day <laughs> who's right. getting like who's getting phone calls in the middle of the night about their appointments or anything i make sure everything's hipaa protected mm -hmm. you know i i protect his license and and um sometimes that makes him crazy because no you can't say that or you can't put that over text because that's like a legal that's like a legal <laughs> document no so i'm always i'm protecting him mm -hmm. and, i love it and that way it, it takes a family yes, dr yes. mitchell to what do you think about the term work-life balance <laughs> what's that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. listen my only bad i get up at five in the morning and uh, you know i i go i work out and that uh, gets me going for the day. So. And that's it. You're off to it. I'm off and running. When I see you, man, it's like you're doing, the work you're doing is incredible. I mean, you're saving lives. Like, there's no question mm -hmm. about that. And I don't think that's lost on you. And I think you found what you love. And it doesn't even seem like work to you. I just feel like you're talking to people and like, it's just your life. And like, what a beautiful thing that you've found that, you know, very stereotypical people always say you know when you find what you love you don't work a day yeah, in your right. life mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. it just seems like you found something that your family loves and you guys all just go at it like a team and yeah, it's, no, it's really behind, amazing yeah, behind me my you know, lynn the kid you know our children our daughter and her boyfriend while he saw us working for the first time because during COVID they both came to live here and he and he works in an advertising studio he said holy shit i can't excuse it's i okay. can't i can't <laughs> believe what you guys are like. First of all, you're funny together because because yeah. there's like we're like one of those like married teens, and, yeah. you know, comedy teens, and um, and and the work that you're doing, the way you talk and treat and treat your patients, and it's just so entertaining. Yeah. So they they would come, they follow us around with the camera everywhere, <laughs> yeah. and and get all this great stuff, this great footage, and so and that's what we're about. So we love what we do, and everybody we help is uh, love it, each other. It's great, uh, you know, for the patient and obviously for the family. So right. It's, mm -hmm. so right. It's, important. it's just a big win 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 all around for you guys. Yeah, it's just, a, and I love uh, to see that. Great it's so feeling. cool. Yeah, you guys carry great energy too. Yeah. Like, it's always so it's always hard on a family. You know, going back to my uh, my my brother. I mean, this went on for you know till he died at forty three. I started at fifteen, and my mother was always a wreck. And 
and, and, and when he died, I mean, obviously we were all like, you know, beyond sad and crying. But about two weeks later, you know, I saw that there was like almost like she was standing up straight. There was like a relief that, you know, he was finally at rest because he was, you know, so out of, you know, out of control. So it, it affects, listen, I have fathers and mothers, you know, call me all the time. And that's the problem with addictions, because and I think I said this before, it's a very selfish disease. It's me, me, me. And then in the beginning, before they get help, if you talk to them, what they'll do is they'll point to somebody else to take it off of them and yes. say, yeah, but he's doing this or she's doing that, you know, to get it off of them. So, you know, they don't understand in the beginning, you know, what they're doing to the whole family dynamic. It affects everybody. It, yeah. They say it takes about a year to get the trust back. Yeah. Um, from a family member with, and, and, and the addicted person doesn't understand, like, all of a sudden I'm doing the right things. Why don't you trust me? Yeah. Well, let me it's well, been Well, because you've been doing drugs for 20 correct. years and you're sober for three months. You gotta wait a little yeah, while. Like, like you're doing the right thing, just continue. And, and yeah. <laughs> They play the they play the the victim as the other guy. They play the uh, the victim role very well. Oh yeah, very well. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They create their own victim. What's up, mm -hmm. guys? I think it's interesting that you said there was like a little bit of bittersweetness when your brother passed mm -hmm. because that's a real testament to a yeah. disease. Yeah. Because when somebody is dying from a disease and it's completely out of their control, there is a little bit of bittersweetness when it's when yeah. the suffering is over at the end. You know, it's obviously very sad when somebody dies, but right. you know, you know that they're suffering through it, and it's out of their control. Well, um, you know, my my uncle, he uh, he killed himself, and he had never he was on painkillers, mm -hmm. and they we we said that it was, you know, he got drunk one night, he was on painkillers, and his brain is you're in a different place. You know what I mean? Your brain chemicals like, and you could probably test speak to this better than I can, but. We just said, because he's never been, or at least we didn't know how he was like that. We never knew he was suicidal. He was a normal dude. Yeah. And he always was the happiest guy at the party, the whole nine yards, you know? And then he's on painkillers and drinks, and all of a sudden, he kills himself. And it's just like your brain chemicals are on a whole different... Path, well, you know? listen, alcohol is a severe <laughs> depressant, you know? you know. So, you know, people, uh, you know, people get depressed and they drink, you know, and they think that's going to do it, but it just makes everything just makes worse. It worse. It prolongs it. Yeah. It's just, and and, and makes listen, it an addict doesn't need a reason. If something terrible happens, there's a reason to use it. Something, something great happens, happens, there's a reason to celebrate. Absolutely. There's no in between. It's zero or 110%. There's right. no in between. So what are some, what are some horror stories that, that you've had in, in this field? Because there's got to be, I mean, I'm sure there's crazy stories, but, but, Give us something that's a horror story or something crazy that you could. Go ahead. You love that story. No, you love that no, story. Go ahead. <laughs> You're better at it, though. I, I got two quick stories, I'll tell yeah. you. I had this brother and sister that were IV heroin users. I mean, doing five bundles a day each. You know, the parents brought them to me, very, very wealthy uh, people. And I wanted to detox them and get him on the on the Vivitrol shot. So I think the second night or something, they both ran, ran out or somebody met him at the mailbox and they used. So the father called me. I said, listen, this has to be like a prison. You need to be on top of them 24-7. 
He calls me the next day. He said, they're not going anywhere. I hog-tied them to the chair. Stop they're staying it. like that for seven Stop days. Stop it. Legitimately. They had some family members that were ex-cops that hog-tied them, and, and, they, and they hired them. So I guess they were in family to, to like watch over them. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Hey, if it, it works, right. Yeah. I was just You're saving that. a life yeah. I, I, we, by any we, means. We, we had another person. He must have been about 36 or 7. Um, his mother put bells on all the doors <laughs> and slept in sneakers just in case he left. Because he used to go to the mailbox to pick up his drugs. Yeah. So just in case she heard the bell, she would be out of bed and boom, she would run over. Holy smokes. By any means, right? Any means. As long as... I mean, the family always cares more, or like they're the ones who aren't inside of it, so they can see. It's like if you're in a bad relationship, you never know you're in a bad relationship. But they're going through the same thing. They're just not doing the drugs. I mean, but they go through the same thing, you know, the person with a substance use Emotionally, they feel it all. You know what I think? I, I just realized that you do that. I think is very important, and to you, it's just second nature. But I think this is what sets your practice apart uh, a little more. Is you get the family involved, and you know it. The saying "it takes a village," you know, like it, it really does take other people. And I couldn't imagine the process that I watched with uh, that person doing it alone. I yeah. don't think it would be possible. Oh, I would. Ne- I never detox anybody at home if they're alone. You know. Or I'll never detox. I had a husband and wife come in a few weeks ago, and uh, they both had severe alcohol use disorder. And I think she wanted to be detox first, and then he would be detox. I said, no, either you both get detox at the same time, yeah. or I'm not doing it. Because if you get detox and he's still drinking, the minute you're done, you're going to want to drink. Right. I said, you're wasting your time and money. Right. So. We got a relative to stay with them, and I detox them both at the same, same time. So you do uh, make sure that there's almost like a somebody overseeing the whole process. Well, someone's got to give the medication. A lot of medications I give, you know, make them sleep a lot. I want them to sleep a lot and be comfortable, especially the first three days. Right. So I so I can't have them, you know, look through their medication, you know, because they're an addict. If one is good, then five are great. Yeah. So someone's got got to give them medication. Right. So. Do you think the healthcare system has come a long way? Do you see positives in the way that, like, legislation is being written uh, in regards to addiction as a community, the opioid crisis, uh, government services, uh, insurance, all yeah, that. I think this, the, a lot of the states are coming around. New York State, uh, in fact, I just got a call from someone. They wanted me to see if I would write Suboxone for people that were in halfway houses, you know, and, and things like that. I mean, you know, in, in the federal prison system, you know, someone's addicted to something, they throw, you, they throw you in the shoe in the isolation, and they let you vomit and have diarrhea for four or five days. And then they let you out with the general population. There's no medication. So it's starting, it's starting to come around. It's very slow. But there's legislation out there to help, you know, to help people you know, continue. Because the incidence of, 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 of overdose with prisoners getting out of prison is so high. You know, because there's, you know, there's no help inside. I mean, they have some groups and things, but nothing to write home about. And what about all the K2 and all the synthetic, there's synthetic opioids, there's synthetic th- What are you talking about, in prison? In prison. Uh, yeah, the two, the two biggest drugs that get sneaked into prisons are Suboxone, 
and K2, you know, the spice, the, you know, mm -hmm. the What's synthetic. Suboxone? Suboxone is buprenorphine, naloxone. That's a great medication. It's a opioid. It works on the mu receptors. It's a partial agonist. And a lot of people, I have a lot of people on the practice on it. It's great. It maintains them. They can function. You know, I have people in the, oh, okay. you know, that, that work and do great on, on Suboxone. So you give it to people who are Everybody's different. I don't give everybody Vivitrol shot. I'll give a lot of people Suboxone because they need that opioid in their brain for them to stay normal, but they're right. not getting high. It's just stopping all their urges. Right. It's and giving the brain ask, what it wants. They ask, how long do I have to stay on this? So he, so he. Uh, I said, well, how long have you been using drugs? Twenty years. Twenty years. So I, so I said, you think three months of medication you could be okay? <laughs> I said, you got to stay on this for years, you know. Yeah. And it depends on the therapy, you know, if they do therapy. But, you know, I, I keep them on a, a minimum of two, three years. So they had those. We did that one episode where they opened them up, opened up those facilities in New York City. I forget what they were called. Oh, the, the, the safe injection sites? Yeah, harm reduction was called. What do you think about those? Good idea, bad idea? It's dropped the uh, hepatitis C down dramatically. I mean, you know, needle exchange is very important. Listen, you're never going to stop people from doing drugs. That's why we spend so much money on the border trying to stop. Yeah. You know, you take down one cartel person, the next one's there in two seconds. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You're mm -hmm. spending money on rehabs and sober living and, and things to help people. You know, never going to get rid of the drug trade. It's too big of a business. Right. So, so short term or long term, what are your goals for, like, is there any big picture items that you have coming up with a TV show or something to help combat drugs in, in, in any other sort of way? And on top of that, I want to ask your method that you're using. I'm not exactly sure how to ask this. I would love to see it, other people using your method. Correct, Not, yeah. not me. Yeah. Put well, me out of business. Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I get that's that. True. That's true. And let me tell you, it took me a lot of years to develop. Right, you know, you know, of Tweaking course. this, tweaking that. So. But is there a way you could grow it and like, I don't know. I would just love to see more of what you do in the world because Correct, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's the only thing I've ever seen that works. And it seems foolproof to me. From what I've seen, it's like, it's just such a good way, the way to do it. I know what you're saying, Tom. I, just, I can't articulate I think, it. I think we all would agree you can't franchise out care. Yeah, exactly. Right. Right. It is, it's not only what I do, it's how we do it. Right. You know, a lot of people will do addiction medicine, but they'll do internal medicine with addiction medicine as a sideline. You know, write a box and do that, or do pediatrics and do addiction medicine as a sideline. We just do addiction medicine. This is what we live 24-7, yeah. you know? Yeah. So for us, it's different. But, you know, in March, I was at the annual American Society of Addiction Medicine, and I spoke to people, you know. Some people ask me what I do. I mean, I, I tell them what I do. Yeah. You know, but there's the, the ingredient they're missing is the, the, the Mitchell family. We got to get a clone <laughs> Structure. machine. Yeah. Making up yeah. you on that. I, I, that, it, that did answer my question. Clone I think guys. the correct answer is they can't do it. No. Other people can't, I mean, unless they really it have a passion. It's a lot of work. I mean, I, you know, besides seeing patients, I, you know, if I'm detoxing something, I'm calling that person four times a day. I'm calling right. family members. I'm checking on them. Yeah. What about right. the most recent girl that you detoxed couldn't hear? Is trying to call her, trying to call her. He want, he goes to, you went to her house, she didn't have any food, she didn't have any water, she was like out yeah, of it. That, and then that, he went, that, he got her pizza, he got her food, he got yeah, her. Yeah, now she's doing See, there, there's, it makes sense that you wouldn't try to push that on other people yeah, but because nobody's willing to work. That? That's what yeah. I'm saying. No one's willing to work no like that. No one's willing to do that. Mm. 
nobody's willing it's to. It's difficult. It. It, you know, it takes a, you know, it takes a lot of time, you know, out of your schedule. But for me, it was a concern. She didn't sound well, so I ran over there, find out. You know, the minute I got three bottles of water in her, I bought her some food. She was great. Yeah. She just didn't eat in three days. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it's it's rare that people take their jobs so yeah, seriously so anymore, and, and you guys really do, and that's what really makes the difference. And it's awesome to see it. Uh, if everyone did their job like that, I mean, we have no the problems world would in the be world. A better fucking place. <laughs> yeah, we have no problems in the world. Most people can't even can't even do their job at ten percent. You know what right. I mean? You're doing hundred and fifty percent of what you. Yeah, what but because we're, we're a we're, we're a family business. You know, people call us. They say, "When can when can you see us?" We'll squeeze them in right away. Right. You call yeah. all these groups, these big groups now? You know, the, it's, uh, you know, what is it, May 16th? You call up, I had someone call, I said, you need a physical, call your primary. Next opening was September something. I mean, how do you, you wait five months for the yeah. boy? I have to get a new leg, right? Right. So I have to go see my primary care doctor. They gave me an appointment three months down the road. Exactly. What, do you want me to hobble right. for three months because you're busy? All you got to do is look at it and say, yeah, it don't fit. Right. Get him a new leg. You kidding? That's, I, I hate that that's stuff. What, that's what upsets me so much. Yeah, and that's why I love to see what you guys are doing. You actually give a bleep. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm. No, listen, no, we do. That's unacceptable. Like, for us, I, that's unacceptable. I, was a, yeah. I, I came in last Saturday afternoon to give people two shots. I mean, I, you only have a small window to keep right. someone sober. Right. So if they say, listen, I can only come in Saturday at 4 o'clock, I'll make sure I'm there on Saturday at 4 right. o'clock. And when you say sober, you can almost always replace that word with alive because exactly. that's what it comes down to. Yeah. We came in at 11.30 at night one night when some kid was being released from jail. Right, and from Binghamton, years, yeah. After five years, and needed a Vivitrol shot. And we said, whenever, whenever you get him out, we'll meet you there. And that, it was 11.30 at night. It's wow. amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm going to come work with you guys. Yourself. That is insane. <laughs> I want to send my sales reps over to you so you can learn what real work is. <laughs> These guys work for four hours. They think they did something special. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, you're absolutely right. <laughs> I, I have sales guys that work for six hours in a day, and they're like, whoa, time to go have a beer. <laughs> like, dude, what are you talking about? We just got warmed up. Thank you, Dr. Mitchell. Thank you, Lynn, for well, coming on the for show. Having us. This was amazing. Our pleasure. Yeah, I mean... I, I wish I wish we had a, a billion followers so everyone could see this because yeah. I think this, this is, is important. The most important <laughs> message in the world. There's not many people like you in the world in any career. They don't take their job as serious as you do. So it's amazing to see someone in this field that that does it because I feel like doctors too. They have a they, there's a stigma around it. Is like they just they just give you the medicine and that's what they do. You know what I mean? Their job is to give you the medicine. A chiropractor's job is to crack your back. You know what I mean? And you go way past what a doctor, quote unquote, is. I just want to say if there's anyone out there who's looking for help and wants real help, you're not going to find better help anywhere than with Dr. Mitchell. If you're seeking help, there's no reason to be ashamed. This is a disease. It's not in your hands. But if you come and you put yourself in their hands, they will help you. Um, Reach out. And if this helps one person, I think this has all been worth it. So thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you.